4: Log Talk Radio.
3: here we are, here we are, Saeki Benga. Hope you guys are doing well out there in the world, wherever you may be on this Sunday, 2011. I know it's March, but I have no idea what date it is. It's been a very interesting last couple of months. Thanks to all you folks who showed the love last night by checking out uh, part one of African Revolution Africa. The sands are burning, is the bush next? I still love that title, and I still have no idea where it came from. It just popped in my head. But anyways, people, um, today's going to be a very interesting groove in reference to the subject matter, which is Cinema Africa. I got an email from a good friend of mine, um, actually four days ago, asking me, now he's a good friend of mine, so I have to show the love, said it's a good friend of mine as to why I'm doing a show on Cinema Africa. So I asked the question, why not? To which the friend answered, "Well, at least give me a shout-out. <laughs> so i have given a shout-out to my friend Anthony out there in Chicago for his question. But anyways, people, I've been looking forward to the show for a while. I wanted to do it some time ago. Uh, if I sound a little uh, off-lucid, I'm still dealing with this concussion, which I've never had before. and They said the uh, symptoms will last uh, for a few weeks, which isn't a good thing since I've never had one before on top of a cast. That was on my arm for about two weeks. So anyways, people, today's show, Cinema Africa, it goes deep. You know, when you talk about Africa, I had it with my uh, law students uh, last year and some of my students this year. I asked them during a a class to get out a piece of paper, write down what they thought about Africa when they heard the word Africa, the name Africa. I said, it's not going to hurt my feelings. You're not going to bother me. I've heard worse, and I've heard them all. If I haven't heard them all, I wouldn't be shocked anymore. And, you know, they started writing down, and when I collected the notes, I read them out loud. You know, all you, uh, the words were along the lines of, well, actually verbatim. Let's see, genocide, hunger, uh, skinny kids with big pot bellies, AIDS, lions, Lion Kings, Mufasa, Akuna Matata. The person actually spelled that right, which I threw me off. War, famine, disease, poverty, poverty, Madonna adopting a baby. Those are the actual answers, and this is in the law class. So you know we had a very interesting class that day because I showed them an awesome video. If you look on YouTube, I believe it's called uh, The Africa They Never Show You. And I believe it's made by someone from East Africa because they show a lot of Kenya in the clip. But it shows all over the continent, Angola, uh, Congo, Brazzaville, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, North Africa, South Africa, Nigeria, uh, Côte d'Ivoire, Senegal giving a shout-out to all my people out there in Cote d'Ivoire. Bomba, hold tight. Things will flow, brother. Everything will flow. We're riding with you. And when that clip, uh, the Africa that never show you, was uh, in progress on the wall when it was playing, I was looking at the faces of my students who were watching it and some colleagues who had walked in, and all you, I would see is amazement on their face. They were stunned, stunned by what they saw. When we finished the clip, it's about 12, it's about 9, 10 minutes long. I asked them, you know, my students, uh, maybe it was uh, ninth grade or 10th grade, it might have been ninth grade at that time, uh, what do y'all think? And one of the students said, you guys live better than us. So I used that uh, opportunity to explain to them that just as around the world, Africa has its poverty areas within the countries, and it has their middle-class areas within the countries, and it has their upper-class areas within the countries. So they were very moved by their presentation,
5: and ironically,
3: um, a lot of them were asking me later on about Africa and, you know, what could they do to really help with the image. And I said, just tell them what you see and get to know the Africans that you speak with. You know, don't believe what you see on TV. This leads me to cinema Africa. And, you know, when people talk about African cinema now, they try they bring up Nollywood and, they always bring up Nollywood because a non-African or somebody that doesn't really understand Nollywood, they bring up Nollywood in a negative way, in a negative component, which has always really irritated me because Nollywood, not including the houses up north, but Nollywood is the second largest film industry on the planet, uh, legal film industry on the planet because if you put porn in there, uh, United States, I think is number one. But anyways, India is number one, uh, Nollywood uh, is number two, and Number three is the United States, yet people don't really understand the impact that Nollywood is having on the culture and the diaspora. They don't understand, um, particularly if you're in a culture where you starved for images of your own, it's interesting when the very same people are questioning and kind of dogging uh, African films. So let's take it, let's kind of get to the groove here because we only have about an hour. I may extend the show. So I'm going to give a couple shout-outs to a few people out there. And then remind me, if you can, uh, come to the chat. If you're on online right now, you can come to the chat room, put in some questions, and we can flow it that way if you like. If uh, you have some minutes left in your phone, you can call me at 646-595-2892, 646-595-2892. But again, if you're hearing me live on the radio, you can uh, come to the chat room, send me a question, I'll give it to you, uh, give it to you the answer. Or you can text me, which a lot of people seem to be doing, which is no problem because my phone's right next to me. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, since we talk about Nollywood, let's go to Nigeria. There's an event that takes place there every year, and oftentimes it's good to hear people's words and uh, you know from as they say from the uh, from their own mouths. The phrase that escapes me right now, but every year there's the African Movie Academy Awards. And people are like, why do you have to name it Academy Awards? Why do you have to name it Academy Awards? Uh, why not? You know, the Oscar is shaped after one of the Egyptian statues. Let's not get it twisted here. But anyways, uh, this event takes place every year, and it's a growing phenomenon. Not a phenomenon in terms of like it's something out of the blue, but it's a growing event. They have their challenges here and there, which I'll get into later on. And the good, the one thing that was a pleasant surprise last year: a good friend of mine, two good friends of mine, uh, won an award there. We'll get into that later on. But let's let you listen to what they have to say uh, from the source, from the award show itself, as it was talked about on Inside Africa.
5: Centuries of inequality, a decade of volatility. We take an in-depth look at land reform in South Africa.
6: Lord have mercy, this is the Amazon.
5: Taking on Tinseltown, we head to an award ceremony fit for Nollywood.
7: I think it will be history when you walk out on the field.
5: And Countdown to Africa's coming out party continues. An interview with famous footballer Stephen Pinar this week on Inside Africa. Hello and welcome to Inside Africa. I'm Aisha Sassay. There were 53 countries represented, 24 categories up for grabs, and one shiny red carpet. While the continent's cinema may be accused of being low-budget, our Christian Pure shows us at the Africa Movie Academy Awards, it's all about glitz and glam. Superstar!
2: On the red carpet at Africa's Oscars.
5: Holy puff! Byron! Lord have
6: mercy, this is... The Amas, African Movie Academy Award, this is the biggest award ceremony in Africa.
2: Forget Hollywood, Nigeria's Nollywood is now the second largest movie industry in the world after India.
6: It's
8: about African cinema and rewarding African cinema.
2: This is amazing to be recognized by one of your own. It's just simply amazing. And it's not just Nigeria, with films from 53 African countries competing at the sixth Amher Awards.
9: It's something uh, that has never happened like this in my career as a Cameroonian filmmaker before. So I'm feeling very excited about it.
2: But the center of attention tonight, Nigerian filmmaker Kunle Afolayan and his film The Figurine. A thriller about a sculpture with mystical powers. You're up for ten nominations yeah. tonight. Yeah. How does it feel? It feels great.
6: It feels like yeah, we've not walked in vain. It feels like um, um, we've opened a new page in, in the Nigeria cinema, in the Africa cinema.
5: The awards are in here, and it wasn't.
6: Don't,
10: don't take it too close. Okay.
2: <laughs> there are 24 awards and plenty of emotion. Nollywood movies are typically low-budget, often filmed, edited and released within a month. Most of these movies don't and end up on the big screen. The Instead, they're in distributed the as VCDs and with titles like King of Kidnappers and Personal Desire and costing probably about one to two dollars. They're affordable for the mass African. But the audience is no longer just African. with films now being distributed across Europe and the Caribbean. Outside in the dark, fans try to catch a glimpse of their favorite stars.
6: I mean, they they, they are good in what they are doing. They make me feel happy while watching their movies.
2: Which you prefer more, American movies, Indian movies, or Nigerian movies? I'm a black, I need to love what my mother loves,
6: so I'm a black, I love Nigerian movies.
2: Inside, tonight is for Nigeria, with Kunle winning five awards, including the coveted best picture. This is the beginning of
6: greater things to come to Africa. I love you guys. But for me, the story, a story that will cut across, not a story that only appeal to Nigeria, but a story that will appeal to an average film lover, regardless of the language you speak, the continent you are from, or, you know, the colour of your skin. The
2: biggest winner tonight, Nollywood. Christian Pure Boy, CNN, by Elsa, Nigeria.
5: Love what your mother loves.
3: Love what your mother loves. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. Actually, uh, we were switching to another clip. So what she was pe- essentially repeating was the young man's phrase, love what your mother loves. Love what your mother loves. He said he loves his own people. You know, I find it very interesting. You know, he, he mentioned something during the show where um, they say the show is a kind of low budget, what have you. But, you know, ask him a show you know, the great filmmaker from back in the day in the United States, his programs, his movies were low budget. Um, you can find technical problems with them now. Yet, I've never heard anyone dog his films or criticize his film to the level they do with Nollywood. Nollywood, and we'll go to the other side of the continent over to Kenya in a moment, but Nollywood's very interesting because the way they Nollywood was founded was that a merchant in Nigeria, I can't remember which state uh, it was, I don't know if it was a uh, Maybe like Abuja or a Lagos, I'm not too sure. But he got he received a huge, huge, huge shipment of videotape. Y'all remember videotape that black thing that came in the case from back in the day. And what happened was uh, he couldn't find a market for it. He just had this huge container, large container of videotape. So he spoke to a guy who was emerging. He said, "Okay, you know what? Do you, I'll take." He's like, "I'll take the tape." So the gentleman made a movie. With the tape, he just got a regular camera, I think it was a VHS camera at the time, shot a movie, uh, screened it at some place, I think in his house or showed it to some friends. And all of a sudden, it exploded from there. People wanted a copy of the videotape. They wanted a copy of the film, I'm sorry. So he he used all the remaining VHS tapes he had to make copies of that film. So that's how the industry was born. Essentially, that's it. Now, the industry generates approximately, as of last year's numbers, over a year and a half ago, half a billion dollars a year. Half a billion dollars a year. And those numbers don't even include the houses up north. So really think about it. That's a lot of money. Yet you don't really see Hollywood, particularly black Hollywood, reaching out to the African filmmakers. The only person I know that's done that with love and respect has been Tanya Kersey from the Hollywood Black Film Festival. And she's always been in the game, wanting to know she wants to know she wants to be in the know to see what's going on and emerging trends and I believe she traveled there last year, and I like to interview her one day to find out how her journey was, but she went over there and, and was you know to show the love and to you know uh, show the respect and to see how a bridge could be built back and forth. But the thing about Nollywood is that Nollywood's audience is is yes, there are some movies that we don't you know that are uh, really shouldn't be made, yes, there are some movies that you know. Should be made, should be seen by the masses. My favorite is Dollar, about a guy who had this, uh, his, do- his daughter was engaged to this uh, gentleman. But uh, this guy had some kind of, his. Uh, this guy's best friend had a business deal that didn't go righteous. So his daughter, he wanted his son in America to marry this girl here. The father, and I'm kind of giving a bridge version of the story. The father said, no, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. And then the guy, his best friend said, well, you know, my son is studying in America. And the father of the daughter changed his attitude real quick. America. Oh, my goodness, America. So he told the daughter, hey, there's this guy I want you to meet who's in America that uh, you should marry, who's going to be coming here visiting. So once she heard that, she dumped her long-suffering boyfriend and was waiting for this guy to come from America. So eventually when he came from America, the guy, you know, she showed the, uh, the father, showed the girl. The father's best friend showed the father and then the girl the his son in America, he was some rapper looking like a low-rent flavor flay from Public Enemy. So, But they didn't care because he was coming from America. So eventually the son did come to Nigeria, lost his mind, almost choked the father of the girl, and the girl realized, I need to stay among my own. There's a There's an analogy in that story, and there is a message in that story, but it seems that it goes over a lot of people who are not, from that perspective of the culture. If you're inside the United States, you don't really, don't really understand the impact of uh, the images that are shown outside the United States. So anytime I watch that movie, it speaks to a larger uh, uh, dichotomy, a, a larger issue. Now, the one thing, though, about Nollywood, and a lot of Nigerian filmmakers uh, and actors and talent are in Los Angeles. You know, there's Haas Hakeem, there's uh, Raz Adoti, there's Fab I mean, my God, I can just go on. Uh, Diero, we're going to up an interview of him. There's also Chet Anekwe out there in uh, New York. Fine actor, great actor. I I have something where I'll be working with him soon, and it's been a long time coming. But the thing I've noticed is that even though Haas came here via South Africa, he's Nigerian, I think he spent some time in the U.K. Roz came in from the U.K. Chet's out there in New York. Even though they're here, Fathers here, out here in LA, or what have you. Even though they're here, it seems you know there's still the desire to tell our own stories, or for them to tell their own stories, in relative to Nigeria or Africa at large. Because they're not the only ones. You have BB Amos and uh, the fine Congolese, and if you hear her voice, she's as fine as her voice sounds. She's uh, obviously also lead in my film Once Upon a Time in the Congo, by the way. Great, beautiful actress. And every, every time people see a, a photo of her, they're like, my God, you know, what's going on? Who is she? You have her out here. You have Tarnu Masakwai. He's out here. He was in the movie with Sadiq Abu, or I think it's going by the name of Abu now. Uh, Soul Diaspora, that was directed and, by, uh, and written by Nigerian. we we'll have that interview shortly. And the thing that comes up often, uh, we have uh, Ngozi Mba. I mean, I can just go down the list for a couple of days about who's out here in reference to actors. I and mean, again, we talked about Sadiq, they talked about Tarnu, there's Beno Chiang, there's Kamal Mohammed, there's Karara Mujero, there's Ida Longomba, we already talked about B.B. Amos, there's Daniel Wilson. And the one thing is that the dynamic is totally different when you're on a set that's, you know, relative to a story from the continent versus on a set that's relative to um, Western stories. The camaraderie is a little different. The familiarity is a little different. The storyline is a little different because a lot of the stories will talk about a social or political P, you know, POV point of view versus the commercial interest, which is why I think sometimes if you see a movie like Battle for Algeria that came out, I believe, in the late 60s, then it's hard to understand that context if you haven't experienced colonialism, in this case by the French. So I think if we can get a better bridge back and forth, an open dialogue, and also respect for the African culture, African cinema at large, instead of saying those Bush movies or those Bush people, because they're speaking to an audience as though there are people that don't like Tyler Perry, but he's speaking to his audience. African filmmakers are speaking to their audience. So I think we have to respect that. Otherwise, we'll just have this uh, conflict going back and forth between the two. Between the two camps, American filmmakers and Africans and African filmmakers, more specifically Black American filmmakers, in reference to the conversation when it comes to African cinema. We talked about um, Soul Diaspora some time ago. They had their red car, they had their red carpet premiere at the uh, Pan African Film Festival, I believe, last year. There was an interview that Miss Lasanja Valente did of Odero Ozoka, who is the writer and director of Soul Diaspora, and is also a member of Sacred drum theater group out here in L.A. Let's hear what he has to say a little bit about his film and African cinema at large.
0: Two thousand five hundred and a couple of change. Uh-huh. In other words, I'm guessing in the be States twenty dollars for all you film boxes out there.
5: And how long did it take you to shoot the song? About
0: two years to write and about a week and a half to direct. I had to take oh, really? <laughs> a lot of
5: Oh really? A lot of
0: bucks had to be taken. I'm kidding. No, I mean I just had to grip the best, the best guys. I had the best crew. I had the best actors. Well, the story is about a, a guy who's trying to find redemption. And uh, technically, it's something I've always been interested in. So it's about a guy dealing with his own insecurities, uh, living in a new world, in America, and uh, having to cope in this country with all the positive gifts in the world. I wrote the story. I was 20 when I wrote it. I'm proud oh, of that. So you
5: relate to that? There's
0: some parts in the film that I pretty statistic that I, I... That is not my story. That's not okay. my life. But some part of it I wrote. Patient okay. myself. There
4: are some disturbing moments. Uh, are they meant to shock?
0: or could you elaborate on that? No. <laughs> <laughs> the film that deals with a lot of intimate moments, you know, and so people might be worried about that, but, but um, I think if you open your mind to it, I think it's something that's easy to digest. I'm Nigerian Born and Raised, and uh, you know, we make movies for, for no money. So we don't make low-budget movies. We make no budget movies. And I'm, really proud of, <laughs> I'm I'm proud of the uh, country. I'm proud of a goal. I'm proud to be a Nigerian and I'm proud to make movies. Um, I tell a story. Look, I don't have $2.5 million to raise it, you know, So when I have money, $20,000, know, I, I tend to want to tell a good story. Just being Nigerian is what I've you know, being able to wake up in the morning and feel lucky that I get to do what I do.
4: You also have a, a company called Sacred Drum, could you tell us something about that?
0: Sacred Drum Company is the best thing, you guys got to get ready for that. I mean, if you guys don't know what the Sacred Drum Company is, you better start looking for it. It's a group of African audit and what we do is we come up with our own original stories, and we write, produce, direct them. There's Genon, Robert, there's Bamba, there's there's, G, there's myself, there's a boy. Uh, I hope I'm not putting anyone. Anyway. I'm working on a new thing right now, called me on Blanche.
5: Okay.
0: About this family trying to cope with a business, a house, uh, to a food business, and uh, it's gonna be amazing. So, looking forward to it.
5: Okay, well done, congratulations. Thank and you.
0: Enjoy your special
5: evening. I- I'll try. Nice talking to you.
3: interview and what he said he's Nigerian born and proud and it's being Nigeria that drives him and again it's a great film I enjoyed watching it was great seeing you know a lot of my friends in there and it was a righteous film Talked to the experience and it was a very you know as what's that catchphrase multicultural as people like to say these days as people like to feel that uh, multicultural is a new word but you know when you come from the continent as I do Congo we're used to different cultures anyways so Let's take our first commercial break and then we come back. We're gonna take it to the east coast of Africa over to Kenya. Let's dedicate this to B.B. Amos out there. Thank you. Yeah, Luma Day. Let's get on with the groove. Woo. My knee was a little better. I'd get out of this, I would have gotten out of this chair instead of dancing here on the floor. Let's take it to the East Coast. Let's get a little deduction here to a fine actor out here from Kenya named Ben Ochiang. I mentioned him briefly the other day. And I actually, I did spotlight on him, Word on the Street, several months ago, which seems to be climbing every day. I think every Kenyan in the diaspora is listening to the show. Um, back to the groove here. He was uh, interviewed some time ago. I believe it was on Inside Africa. I'm not too sure. They did a spotlight on him. Uh, it was entitled a uh, Kenyan actor trying to make it in Hollywood. He's actually one of the leads in our film, Once Upon a Time in Congo. And he's recently been casted in a feature film where I believe he is playing a pilot. That's all I will say. I love, I love when I get him on air. I'll let him say what can be said because, you know, in this industry a lot of times they don't want you saying what part you're working on and everything's confidential and confidentiality agreements, so we'll just keep it there. But I do know he also finished some voiceover work on a great, I believe it was a video game a couple of days ago. Not too sure, but, again, we get him on air. These are the questions we're going to ask him. He was profiled some time ago, I believe two weeks, or I came across it two weeks ago. And again, it was, a, it was entitled a Canyon actor, trying to make it in Hollywood, Ben Ochiang. Let's take the it
4: The Walk of Fame, Los Angeles, a public monument to Hollywood's iconic victory. These stars on the pavement celebrate the greatest personalities of America's film and music world and attract 10 million tourists every year.
9: We're on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Check it out, right here, Sydney Poitier, the first black man to get an, uh, an Oscar, and I believe even a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Hopefully one of these days we'll see an African's name on the Hollywood Walk of Fame too. That would be nice if it's me, <laughs> but I don't, I don't care who, as long as it's an African too, and that would be nice. Yeah.
4: For kenyan born actor Benjamin Ochieng, Coming to the place that highlights the achievements of those who have come before him keeps his ambition going.
9: So here we go, Jamie Foxx star right here and uh, right next to us is Berry. And uh, this is pretty good, man, you know. These are the younger ones, generations of black people doing good things. He won an Oscar for Ray. She won an Oscar for uh, Monsters ball.
4: Benji, as he likes to be called, moved to the United States 23 years ago to pursue a degree in computer science.
9: Ah, cool. you get Come
7: on
4: in. But his real passion Good. was for many years. He was part of a rock band that slowly drifted apart. So then he got into acting. Yeah, I, was
9: just... I was an extra for a long time. I uh, did almost 50 to 60 roles just as an extra. And then every time I went to an extra job, I used to tell them that I knew, oh, hey, by the way, I speak Swahili and all that stuff. But it never worked for me, except this one time when I went on to the X-Files. And then I told the AD that I spoke Swahili, and she said, oh, really? And she just walked off. But then, like three minutes later, they were looking for me. Hey, Benjamin, where are you? And all that stuff. So, I, so that's how I got my first speaking role. And they also tapped lead me, so I got into the union immediately and that's how it got me started. It's the same, I'll take you, but they are afraid.
4: Benji's appearance of the exiles may have been brief, but it was enough to open doors for him. What followed next was a Hollywood movie Stop with Bruce Willis right called Tears of Sun, shot on vacation in Hawaii for over five months in 2003.
7: Somebody's going to tell me. Somebody's going to start talking right now. Because if they don't, tell me what I want to know by the time I count to five. I'm
1: going to kill someone else. One.
9: Two. Three. Four. Please. father sent me away with this man, Colonel McCasey. Lieutenant, his father was more than the president. He was the tribal king that makes him the heir to the nation. It, it was awesome. I mean, okay, for me, I have you know, mixed feelings how I felt that time. Because here I was doing a big movie, and I have this huge role that I wasn't ready for. I, me, I know, for me, that I was not ready for that room. It's probably sometimes I even see how they mixed the... They cut out some stuff and all that stuff. Maybe, I don't know. I'm, I may be wrong. You know, I was thinking maybe I just didn't bring it, you know. <clears throat> but then after that, that's when I got bitten.
4: Benji's wife, Elizabeth, is supportive of him and his career. She moved from Kenya to the U.S. with him and was once a family's breadwinner. winner he had left kenya because he had a dream of becoming an actor a musician you know and also of course getting his degree in computer science so you know since he was already so um committed to it you know i had to support him we discovered that benji had crazy projects going on all over his house One of his favorite pastimes is in providing jam sessions with the Longbombas, a relatively popular Kenyan musical duo who are based in the city. The brothers also happen to be Benji's relatives, as one of them is married to Benji's oldest daughter, Ida. Ida, an actress and musician, is a mother too and fondly remembers her childhood from as little as I could remember there was always music going on there was always some kind of creativity whether it was music or acting or um, craftsmanship whatever it was it's always something that's being done in the house so it's normal to me
6: somebody's always singing someone is always cracking crazy jokes because we have actors in the house you know and it's it's crazy it's a crazy moment from all the way from Andrew
9: (laughs) I'm one uh very contented person you know it's like most most parents you uh you bring up your kids and uh s- some kids don't follow in your footsteps per se you know some go wayward some in jail and all that stuff that never happened with my 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 uh my family and i'm very grateful for that and it makes me feel good in that
4: benji is also working on his first teacher Twin called called I'll tell you about a family reunion set in Kenya.
9: Well Being a Kenyan, and I see a lot of Kenyans now working in film and doing good jobs, you know, so I decided, you know, I might as well write something uh, from there.
4: Piring him on is the work of other filmmakers from Africa.
9: One African project that I've done is Kwame. Kwame was written and directed by Edward osei Jima, a student. Uh, a Graduate student from USC, you know, and uh, he's written a very nice piece that's actually uh, it's it's a true story. Uh, he fictionalized a little bit of it, but it's a true story about his uncle. Uh, his Kwame is his uncle who, during the, the the coup in 1979 in in Ghana, this actually happened. He was they were looking for him. He was a captain in the army and then he had to run away. They killed his father, they, killed it. they, they raped his sister and all that stuff. And he ran away, he came to the United States, became a, a cab driver. So it's actually based on real events.
4: Benji won a Best Actor award at the 2009 Mexico International Film Festival for his role in Kwame and is now meeting another director to discuss an upcoming project where he will play a Somali soldier.
7: I thought, yeah, well, you know, th- this is a possibility.
9: And, um, it, but it wasn't really until I saw his work, uh, in a film called Kwame, which is a short film, uh, a really nice piece of work for which he won, uh, a Best Actor award at the Mexico International Film Festival, that, that I, I thought, you know, w- We really had somebody who who could could do the work because it's a demanding role.
4: When compared to established Hollywood actors, Benji has barely scratched the industry surface, but he still hopes and dreams that a big role will come his way and people can see him shine on the big screen.
3: A great profile. A great profile, Ben Ochiang. Uh, again, we're looking to get him on air, along uh, with Abu in the near future. But if you go back through the archives, you have a show, A Word on the Street, where we talk to Ben Ochiang. And we also profile Far From the Angel's Gaze, uh, Seca Drum Company's first play that they had uh, middle of last year. We're going to stay on the east coast of Africa. You know, I have to give love to this movie. Uh, first, of a shout-out to Ben Ochiang and the family. I think I have half of them in my Congo movie, but they're too talented, way too talented. I mean, they are tan- talented and dangerous, and that's a good combination, a very good combination. Very industrious, very entrepreneurial. You know, mixing music, soundtrack, longolbos. Longolbos are very huge in the, uh, back on the continent. They bring their following here, and when the doors blow open for them, it's all it's over. It's over. You're gonna be you're gonna be amazed by their talents. Now let's come back here a few seconds. Here, there's a movie. That was shot in Kenya. A lot of movies have taken place in Kenya have been shot there. Um, out of Africa, uh scenes from Inception were shot there. Uh The Constant Gardener was uh, filmed there also in its entirely. I'm sure there's a few films that have escaped my uh my uh, my memory at this moment. But I saw one at the uh Pan African Film Festival that was called The First Grader. And I remember this story being in development for some time. And ironically, it's produced by the brother of a good friend of mine uh, named Siaka Harding. That's the good friend of mine, um, who's actually also self-plugged in my Once Upon a Time, the Congo movie. (laughs) But anyways, this movie is set in Kenya. It's produced by Sixth Sense Productions. I'll give you a little of their background in a moment. The storyline, as it goes, uh, I believe we have a post up on IMDb also, is that it's set in a mountain village in Kenya. The film tells the remarkable truths True and uplifting story of a proud old Mau Mau veteran who was determined to seize his last chance to learn to read and write. And so ends up joining a class alongside six-year-olds this is the eighth grade, I believe. Together, he and his young teacher, played by Naomi Harris, faced fierce resistance, but ultimately they went through and also found a new way of overcoming the burdens of the colonial past. They were colonized by the British. People, this movie... You know, people always say, oh, you know, it should be nominated as an Academy Award, blah, 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 whatever. No, no, no. Let me say something. This movie is a a real good movie. Really, it is a real good movie. It's tight, well put together, well shot. It flows. Somehow, you know, I'm not going to say the whole thing. I believe they have a distribution deal, they'll be released in either April or March on the East Coast and West Coast with a slow rollout. So if you're hearing me, if you see it coming to your area, I have no uh, financial investment in the films. So I'm telling you straight up. If I didn't like it like Tati, I would tell you. This movie is a great film. It's a great, great film. Not Naomi Harris, you may, may remember her from, I believe, a 28 Days Later, uh, Miami very. She brings it in this movie as Jane Obinchu. And a new guy, well, I don't know if he's a new guy, he actually uh, has studied university in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I believe at Harvard and overseas. His name is Tony uh, Goroje. I'm probably mispronouncing the last name. He plays uh, Charles Obinchu, the husband. And the star of the film is the student himself and the actor whose name is, I am struggling with at this moment. So I'll not try to butcher his name did a great job in the lead role. It was directed by Tristan Jadwick, written by Ann Peacock. And it's just, there's really not too much I can say beyond you have to see the movie. You have to see this movie. It is awesome. It is awesome. And that's all I'll say. Um, Again, it's made by Sixth Sense Production. Give it some love. Go check it out. See what's up. And let's see if I can give you a little more information on this production here as we go through our notes here. The producer, I would like to let people know, because he's a the fellow African. Here we go. Named Richard Harding is the producer. Uh, we also have uh, the co-producer, Trevor Ingman. Richard Harding as Siaka is from Sierra Leone, a.k.a. Salone. And he had a great uh, question and answer at the end. At the end of the screening, he took a lot of questions. uh, He and his co-producer there. And the place was packed, packed, packed with people. And they got a standing ovation for this production. So sometime this week, I believe Thursday, we are going to do a word on the street and spotlight this movie, The First Grader. And I implore you guys, check it out. It covers the past and and the present. It also gives some notes about the future. And how they give love to the mile mile is, is 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 all I can say is much love, much love. So let's since we're on the east coast right now of Africa over here in Kenya, let's give a little musical break and give a little uh let's give love to the African Children's Choir. I believe they're from Uganda, but I think they're composed of children from all over. They had a nice piece uh, set in Blood Diamonds, the movie starring Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio and Simon Huntsu. Uh, the name of the song is Nangan-Girira. I always kill that name, but it's Nangan-Girira. Check it out. We'll get a little, a little clip of this on our commercial break right here. I'd really like to get that in my soundtrack. Let me tell you, because I love that cut. You know, to talk about the present and, and before we get to the future, we have to go to the past and really acknowledge some people who came before us. Um, someone asked me, I got a text message here about Soul Diaspora. Did they win an award? I'm like, yes, they did. They got Best Film by an African filmmaker in the diaspora. Soul Diaspora won that uh, award, and the great actor, a fellow uh, Sierra Leone, to Siaka, I think they both met at my audition, if I'm correct, or an event I was doing. But yes, Soul Diaspora did win. It won the award at the African Academy Movie Awards. I believe it was last year, if I'm incorrect. Yes, the African Movie Academy Awards, I'm sorry. They won for Best Film by a Filmmaker in the Diaspora, Best African Filmmaker in Diaspora, and Sadiq Abu. Uh, Went over there to Nigeria uh, to receive the award on behalf of the production, on behalf of Darrow. It was great. Ironically, in the piece you heard earlier uh, in reference to African cinema, there was someone in there who was saying about they were getting a lot of love. This is great. It's unbelievable. That's actually Abu, Sadiq Abu, over there. They interviewed him on the red carpet. So you see how it comes all the way around. So it's great. And I'm getting a lot of text messages of people asking me to play that clip again because apparently some of our listeners are in the clip. So we would do that towards the end of the show. We have about 40 minutes left. But we have to go back in the past and often remember that when we talk about Africa, we're talking about, you know, let me give you a quick hit list of the films Make that film uh, that have prominent directors on the continent. We're talking about Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Chad, Cote d'Ivoire, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Hala. Egypt, Ethiopia, Gabon, Ghana, Guinea, Guinea, Bissau, Kenya, Mali, Mauritania, Niger, Niger, Nigeria, Rwanda, Senegal, Sudan, South Africa, Zimbabwe, the list goes on. In fact, in 1923, the movie and Wasifa, also known as Barsoom, looking for a job, was directed by Muhammad Bayoumi and was starring Fauzi, Maunib, Maunib, it was a silent movie made in 1923. The English translation is from Looking for a Job. The Arabic, and I'm not very good with my Arabic as yet, is Basahoum Yabhas Ain Wasifa. And it was directed by Mohamed Bayoumi, and it was a silent movie made in 1923. That's how far back the cinema on the continent goes. So it's not just about sub-Saharan Africa. It's about the continent at large. You see a movie such as Battle for Algeria, see that movie, because this is no joke. I highly recommend that movie. In fact, it was banned by, I believe, the French government. That's how realistic and indicting it was of the French occupation, the French colonialization of Algeria. But We have to go back to you know, the man credited as being the father of African cinema, who passed away on June 9, uh, 2007. Osmani Sembene, yes, people. Or in the French style of writing, Sembene Osmani. The guy was from Senegal. The guy, right? He was only one of the best directors on the planet. I uh, was from Senegal. He did a lot of movies, a lot of movies, and he was also a very no, uh, well-known author, having written God's Bit of Wood. Of Wood. Uh, the Los Angeles Times itself considers him one of the greatest authors of Africa. That's the Los Angeles Times, and you know how picky they are. We had mentioned the um, Democratic Republic of the Congo, so I'll be remiss in not mentioning Mwese Ngangua. If Osmani is the father of African, African film, Mwese Ngangua is the tonton, the uncle of African cinema. But I don't know who's older, so they're the same. We have to say he's the, yeah, the uncle, the brother. Okay, that's what we'll say. Also, we have to give love to after the first African women film director, to get international recognition, that would be Safi Faye, an awesome director. You know where she's from, Senegal. I can hear the people throwing up the fingers right now, the two, the peace sign, not the finger, the two fingers, the peace sign, saying, yes, Senegal, 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 viva la Senegal, yes. Safi Faye was the first African woman film director. Also, we have to remember, she was the first sub Saharan African woman to direct a commercially distributed feature film, and she's done some documentaries. And there's some directors in the Northern Territories also. We have to give love to uh, Sarah Maldivar. She did a short called Zami. I'm sorry, Sambizanga. It was about the 1961-74 war in Angola, and a documentary was made about the very survivors of that war. It was um, also. I struggle with this documentary name, but it's, the English word is "The Forgotten," which is made by anne Laurie Foley, eight uh, years later, uh, also. So, Sarah uh, Ducados is another director. She was actually born in Gers, France. She's a French film director, I believe, of African descent. And we have to go a little bit further. In 2008, we have Manushka Kelly-Labwaba became the first woman to direct a fictional film in the history of Gabon. Again, that was in 2008. Manushka Kelly-Labwaba became the first woman to direct a fictional film in the history of Gabon. Her short film, Le Divorce, addresses the clash between modern and traditional value and its impact on a couple's attempt to break up or get a divorce, according to our uh, notes here. Uh Mwise Ngangua, he was born in Bukavu in nineteen fifty. So yes, he is uh, a little he is younger than the late Grace Sembene. Uh Mueze he's he studied cinema in Brussels. And after that, he returned back to Zayawa, Zaire. Don't worry about the sirens. They're not after me if you can hear in the background. He returned to Zaire, became a fellow in three higher education institutes of Kinshasa. 1980, he made his first documentary, Sherry Samba, a portrait of young popular painter from Kinshasa. Then he did Ken Kaisi, a sweet and sour film, uh, uh, Sour Joys of Kinshasa La Belle. Uh, later on in 85, 1985, he wrote and directed La Dea Belle which starred Papa Wemba, tells the the right to of a poor country musician who's the same in the city. It was also followed about 10, 12 years later by a piece uh set in uh, Europe, and it talks about the struggles of the African immigrant in, that, in uh, Europe and bringing one's culture to another culture, and at what point do you leave your culture behind to assimilate another culture? That is a great film. In fact, I believe that Mama's Brother Marie Dion, her brother, is in the film as an actor, and I believe he composed the soundtrack for the film itself. It went to win the um, number one award at FESPACO, a film festival that takes place every two years in Burkina Faso. And he returned later on to do a film, uh, The Habits of the Governor, well, The Governor Has No Clothes, which put him uh, in touch again with Papa Wemba, it was a little hard for him to make that film because it was around that time, uh, Papa Wim was in jail in Belgium <laughs> on charge of human trafficking. So it was a little difficult for him to make the film, but I don't know how he did it. But Ngang Uemwe, and waving up all the independence that we have to have as filmmakers. He went back to Kinshasa and filmed or films and filmed Sud in Brussels, and he's been producing films ever since. You have to give love to Festaco because it's an event that takes place every year. It's also known as the Pan African Film and Television Festival of Guadalugu, which is the capital of Burkina Faso. And it's the largest African film festival. And again, it's held every two years. If you can get there, get there. It usually starts the two it usually starts two weeks after the last Saturday of February, which I probably would mean uh the first two weeks of March. Anyways, you gotta check it out. All the players of the game are there, distributors, international filmmakers. They're all there. Fest you really need to check it out. It is an awesome event, and I really look forward to checking that place out. The, not just the country, but the festival itself. So, people, we have to give love to, you know, a few other people here, a couple other filmmakers, a couple other films that were out there. Let's go on the list. Not too long we don't have that much time. We already talked about the first grader. You have to see this movie. I am telling you, the movie is awesome. You have to see the movie. Uh there was Hotel Rwanda starring Don Cheeto. My only issue with that film is Don Cheeto had more of a British accent than a French accent. Uh there was Sometimes in April, there was Taxi coming out of South Africa. Uh Sometimes in April it was set in Rwanda. We had yesterday, a heart wrenching film that was shot, um, in South Africa about a woman's struggle, uh, within her family and I believe with HIV, oh that movie. It's her and a young daughter. And I actually have the DVD here, and it's just hard for me to watch because it's that moving. It's very moving. We uh, also have the awesome film, Lumumba. Woo! That movie. Why that wasn't nominated for Best Foreign Film is beyond me. Awesome, awesome movie. And I'm not being biased because, it's you know, the, the Lumumba's from my country, but the movie's awesome. Acting is tight. Dialogue is tight. Story, story uh, telling is tight. Oh, my God. Awesome film. Awesome film. We already talked about the aforementioned Battle of Algeria. My God, I wanted to mention the director Lumumba, and the name escapes me at this moment. It really does. I'll come back to it. We also mentioned my film, Upcoming, Once Upon a Time in the Congo. I have to give a self-plug. We have the mini version. will be finished next month, and then we shoot the feature length uh, towards the end of summer. Uh, there's a great seminal movie, Shaka Zulu. And if you want to know about The Power of the Vote, that movie was partially funded by the apartheid government so they could get the Zulu vote at that time. That movie, do you remember Infunda? Oh, I love that movie. Oh, I love that movie. That movie's awesome. It's very interesting, the fight that he was having, Shaka and the Zulu was having against the colonials, soon to become the Afrikaans, and you superimpose that or justipose justipose that over what's going on in the United States when it comes to the, the growing civil rights movement at that time. Have you know, let's continue on. I want to get some love to uh we mentioned these people earlier, you know, Chet, Anekwe, Haz Hakim, Raza Doti, Abu, Tarnu Masapai, Feno Chiang, Kamal Mohammed, Fabrimo, oh my God, Karara Mujero, Ida Longomba, Bibi, Amos, Daniel Wilson, you know, Genevieve, Rita, Stephanie. A great writer, I have to give love to is Tope Olawule, who's out there in Boston, who wrote his first book, first novel, Bean Police, which Thank God I optioned because I really want to get that book made into a film. I've been working on the adaptation for some time. And he's working on his part of uh, the second book to that series at this time. There's also a science fiction writer I wanted to mention. I think her name is Nadi, N N E D I. She's on my Twitter, which I don't really like because I want no one following me because we call that stocking where I come from. But anyway, great speculative fiction writer, another uh, area of science fiction. I want to see if we can get her on the show or profile her also. Um, Ben mentioned he was in Tears sung. the song. The acting was great in Tears the song. I hate the movie. A lot of Africans didn't like it. Why? Because the way they portrayed the Nigerians as the Nigerians were slandered in District Nine made by the uh South African film director down there, where they had uh Nigerians portraying prostitutes and were engaged in interspecies prostitution. That was so offending that the Nigerian government wanted that film banned i District 9 is a science fiction piece. I love the film in that aspect, but there's no sense in those scenes where they degrade my Nigerians, my fellow Africans. I didn't like that. And I had the same final Tears as The Sun overall. Yet the acting in there, because it also includes Jimmy Jean-Louis, a brother from Haiti, who's been bringing it. He's in Fat Girls, and I think he's in three different films shot on the continent. So let's give him some love out there. And we have to give love also, since we're going to be in the Caribbean for a quick second, Let's give love to Patricia Grant Gave her a shout out yesterday She's black British though But she does Jamaican descent So let's get back to our group here We don't have that much time Let's take another commercial break So since I had mentioned Our people in the West Indies Let's give the West Indians some love a bugger, a princess, man
8: like for the, soul, man, the man. You know, time, We are for the pressure come on. They want the- I'll come dance in the sun, of am in nine, 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 four, the red, the face, i to don't understand.
3: I turn it up, put in the proper base, know let me say, now, back to Lumumba. Lumumba was directed by Raul Peck. How could I forget that guy? My God, one of the best filmmakers on the planet. If I can work with him, it's on. And you have the guy, he's from Haiti, by the way, who grew up in Congo. And you have Sasha Pedro, another Haitian film director, who's really bringing it out here in L.A. I'm see if we can get him on the show sometime soon. I think he's done three features already at this time. You know, we will do what we can, just be patient, you know, we're – our crew is only so big, you know, and when a recession, well, not me, I'm boycotting the recession, as Omekongo would say. Ah, by the way, Oliver Letondo plays Kimani, Ganga, Marush, He's the lead character, I believe, in the first grader. I don't have his bio on me at this moment, but, yes, Kimani, awesome film. People, I'm telling you, the first grader, mm, mm, mm. And I believe Ben is actually working on his own script. Uh, Dancing Queen, I believe, is the name of the, the, the screenplay. I'm not going to give the plot away. I'd rather have him talk about it when we have him on the show again. Uh, because, you know, again, as fellow filmmakers, we respect each other's uh, confidentiality and creation. So oftentimes we don't talk about other people's productions unless they give us the permission to or they talk about it. So let's get back to our group, people. Now, here's the danger one thing I'm a little concerned about when it comes to African cinema, and that is we have to make sure. We are aware that we are now at a crossroads of the direction we're going to head. There's a lot of us in the industry right now, we're here and abroad. You know, you just have a book come from the U.K., but I believe he's part Sierra Leone and part – I
10: don't know what the other
3: part is. I don't think, I don't think it's Congolese. Hmm. I have to look into that. But we yeah. have to – we're at a point where we have enough stories, enough people on that continent where we can tell any kind of story we want, and we can have a cinema – house playing five different films about five different subjects from five different time periods. And I think the challenge we have is that we have to make sure we take ownership of our work, both good and bad. And we have to be very cognizant of the fact that right now a lot of our African brothers and sisters who are in the industry of Hollywood and uh, L.A. and New York, there seems to be a trend of black folks portraying African from the continent. So now Africans are now in somewhat of a find themselves auditioning were black folks, our brothers and sisters from here, black Americans, to play themselves. And I think it's a little, for me, it's a little troubling because a lot of the comments that I've heard our brothers and sisters in America make towards Hollywood, how Ejus Abel, I believe it's him saying, is that the Academy Awards are not made for us. He's talking about black filmmakers or black actors or black entertainment. Hollywood, I'm not too sure. But I think the attitude that we say Hollywood is guilty of doing, our brothers and sisters in America and in, in black Hollywood are doing the very same thing to the Africans. I remember it was in Roll Bounce where this young kid, I can't remember, uh, 12, 15 years old, walked up to his father, young, you know, young brother, walked up to his father, uh the young kid was only wearing, like, a bathing suit, and the father said, go put on some clothes. This is in Africa. And, you know, some people chuckled. I didn't think it was funny. I remember in Something New, directed by the African director, who I'm remiss not to mention, uh, my God, Sanaa Hamri, from Morocco uh, she, the northern territories of the continent I believe she's based in New York this late she's done I think uh, something new and the tra- sisterhood of the traveling past part two this uh, and she does countless videos including common Prince. I think she's based out of New York fellow African I really want to direct one of my pieces a nice Roman piece We want to shoot up the north up the north the northern territories uh, awesome director in the film, one of the characters, a comedian, a uh, sister from, um, I think the sister is actually from L.A., she's a comedian, whose name escapes me. She makes a joke, Well, Charles to, says, you know, you know there's something news about, you know, the low marriage rate about black women. And in this scene, the comedian is black, and she makes a joke, which I don't have the clip here, but you can find it anywhere on YouTube or go get the DVD. Well, she talks about interracial dating, because the lady, the lead, who is pronunciation, uh, Sonal yeah, Sonalathan, uh, is... Uh, in between, she's kind of like a, being fought, chased by two men, one uh, Black American and one Anglo. And the comedian makes a statement of saying that she's the. The comedian says, "This is the comedian saying it that uh, she says quote I've never doubted outside of my race. Oh yes, I have. I've dated an African. Now, some people may think that's you know that's you know what's the problem, what have you? Well, when you're on the receiving end of hostility." from our brothers and sisters in America as an African. Because remember, it wasn't too far long ago, even sometimes to the point now, I've actually I've heard this, where if you call a, a, a black American an African, they want to fight you. And I remember, sadly, a student some time ago, about three months ago, who was uh, in one of my other classes, uh, actually in another, cl- another uh, academy, but she was actually in my class and was having a conversation this day, said, you know, nice, beautiful, brown-skinned sister, very intelligent. She goes, I don't want to be African. Instead, said was an attitude. So we had a conversation about an hour and a half, and I understood where she was coming from, and then she understood how that statement really affects not only me in reference to it being offending, but her herself, because it creates a disconnect. But as we bring that to African cinema, right now, I think, you know, right now we have Jennifer Hudson portraying Winnie Mandela. and If you have the outcry when they casted her, look, every film, if you want to talk about numbers, every film that was set, has been set in Africa, that has had a brother has had a brother or sister from Black Hollywood in the lead has not made money. Tay Diggs Tay starring Drum that movie made no money. Uh, Carl Lumley was in uh, Catch a Fire that movie really struggled. I think I don't know if it was more on the distribution side or what have you, uh, Derek. But that movie really it really struggled. And I, I haven't seen it, but a lot of my friends say it's a great movie. Um, the Catch a Fire starring Derek Luke made no money. The joke is that it couldn't catch a cold. Um, the other movie, Sarafina. I think Angela Bassett was in that film years ago. Was it was a whoopee. That didn't do very well. So now we have a story uh, about Winnie Mandela. And Nelson Mandela is portrayed by the great act you know, the fine actor, really strong actor, Terrence uh, Howard. Terrence Deshaun Howard, I think he's going by now. Actually a friend of mine, it's in a while, so I hope he's doing well. But the big outcry from the continent is that Jennifer Hudson is playing Winnie Mandela, who was an icon, an icon of the movement, of the continent, of women at large. And Jennifer Hudson, you know, no this to her the acting, but she's approximately, I think, 24, 25. She doesn't know anything about apartheid. She doesn't know anything about that kind of struggle, colonialism. She was born after the Civil Rights Movement. I'm not taking away her own experience as an individual because I didn't live her life. But the aspect of apartheid, apartheid wasn't a system of just separating the races. It was a, it was a uh, system to destroy the black family, which Tati, the book, illustrated so well, which was lost in Tati, the movie. So the issue, again, you know, Jennifer Hudson, her statement was uh, she felt the hardest thing for her was to learn the accent. And that brings me to the Ladies Detective Agency with Jill Scott and Anna Rose, I can never pronounce her last, Anika Rose um, in the supporting role and Jill Scott in the lead role. The writer of the book, actually, I believe he's, uh, yes, I believe he's from Botswana, if I recall correctly. He's Anglo, you know, an uh, Anglo-African, we'll say. And he specifically said he wanted someone from the continent to play that role, but yet they they cast the said he looked all over South Africa all over southern Africa, and they couldn't find someone to play that role. so they casted Jill Scott and I remember talking to a cast a crew member on that production who was just who was from the continent who was involved in some of the training was just really beside himself as to why this is happening, but it's all about business if the money's being funded, you know a lot of people feel that if you get the uh, black American the lead role of an African story that other people will see it. What happens is that, yeah, you might gain 30%, 30% more people to watch the movie, but you also lose 50% of the indigenous audience who won't see it because they don't see their own in the movie, if that makes sense to our listeners out there. Now, we're going to come back a little bit. We talk about the Jama- uh, the Jamaicans, West Indians. Now, remember Girlfriend by an extension because, you know, the Caribbean, the West Indies, and in Africa, we look at the West Indies as, West, as Caribbean Africans, and the Caribbeans look at us as continental West Indian. So we have the love there. And I remember on Girlfriends, I don't ever remember. I haven't, ever, haven't seen every episode, but I don't remember ever seeing a West Indian or an African on that show. So it was very troubling when they finally had a Jamaican on the show who, would be, who was to be the boyfriend of one of the characters. They had this guy being lazy and living in the garage. And I didn't feel that was a proper representation of the people from the culture, from the yard. So, again, one troubling um, thing I've noticed over the last couple of years is A lot of our brothers and sisters in black Hollywood are doing to Africans, West Indians, and the cinema by extension what Hollywood is doing to them. And I think we have to be very careful, have a dialogue, because we could grow mutually or we can grow separately. And we have to keep in mind when you look at the numbers, there's approximately 31, 32 million African-Americans or black Americans in the United States. There's 69 million Congolese. B.B. Amos does a film, and the Congolese women back home find out, she can get off Kinshasa. And I believe if she's from uh, I believe from Kasai, you know, there's her support group there. There's hundred million Nigerians. Remember Naliwa generates approximately half a billion dollars and that's where a distribution system where is essentially bootleg. Where the money doesn't go back to the filmmaker, the money doesn't come back into the industry. So if that if that mechanism can be found, not especially bootleg, but they make multiple copies and they sell them at the churches or this African will have it and sell to this person. Let him play or let this person look, look at the video, what the film, what have you. But the that of distribution doesn't allow money to come back into the pipeline to further increase the production, further increase in strength of distribution in terms of salaries, economies, production money, and stuff like that. So I think once that once that leak can be taken care of, you're really going to see African cinema go off the handle. Now, like our last break here, we have about 14 minutes left. We went down to West Indies. Let's give a little love to our people, uh, Langala phones out there, so we can bring to the mix before we continue on to our groove. Here we go one day
1: Qui les a n'a aussi qu'à ça fait des lettres. De la mesa, l'ingale à reconnaître. Banama, bami qui Ngina na cosmos haja 11 na soko game po lang meka tunanga mwana fois thé h double yo baomba pika tende soko confirmena kinte nego sara Ko monika idubla ela na balano balabala no ko ina tev changa love na sipi. Gana mwana wananza mbatinda kwa kusala pola rapini na lafone ba nge ba dunalisa. tuna kolo alobano biloko zako salue zama pe. Poto kumi na zoka mutamofia kule ba verite. Uta romeka ifonekha zeyo akotika chikle moya lunga facileman nge nzate ifo ba zwa tampona ba longola yeye manazaido la katidologi na motte danaka lokomotif so komekina negu zamitir mo posa 3 na mina la forte posa na foa fo lokola motion I could boss a fort for a zone na combo. sala ke Kongo Bobimba, toza la famille Ota meka d'ailleurs mec ako sto payé, non ye. Soko kwebina koulate na tala yo, nam na ye bi na sala bata yo. Mon fils Young David Oza wa, tu m'as couru pour sauver ton âme. Amkolo, on a la liste à gatte, déjà bailleba, a la liste à gauche, liste à droite, là, moi semblant, moins move ba, yéma ébimba comme na bossala yo, banga krana rap MC sounds like a bitch to
7: Check. Stop checking. Check. Check. Uh,
3: that beat is just it's just that beat is just <laughs> that beat is crazy. I love it. Young Dave, Congolese, Nalingala. Cannot wait to use that into our cut. Actually we have it on a clip that we're actually gonna reshoot in a couple of weeks. In reference to the entrance of one of the characters played by the smooth actress, Kenyan and also now mother of a beautiful child, Ida Longomba. Now, people, we have about 10 minutes left. So we're going to wrap this up shortly. Look, so we had our little conversation. Our little conversation went on for about an hour and a half. I was actually going to do about an hour, but, you know, Africa is that big. Remember, go out there, check out the cinema, talk to an African filmmaker, get the love, show the love, ask questions understand we're telling our stories. You can't say our stories are primitive. You can't say our stories are bad or not positive. You can't do it. It's our stories. All right? I have no interest. You know, when I speak on a panel, I'm always asked by somebody what do I think about Tyler Perry. And I say I think nothing of him because I have no interest in his movies because I don't see me up there. So I give him love because he has his skills. He speaks to his audience. He has his talent. He does what he does. God gave him those gifts, so who am I to criticize him? Yet, as a, as a movie-going person or just a population, I ha, I'm not interested in his movies because me, as a Congolese-born producer, writer, what have you, and as a Congolese that grew up here in the states, also, when I see his movies, I don't see any Africans. So, the stories I do see, I've already known those stories, you know, since I've been in the country. A lot of Africans have already known. We know a lot of these stories that are being produced by our people in Black Hollywood. The reason why they don't sell overseas is that so many of us have either either one lived in the United States for some time, particularly at a time when it wasn't cool to be African, when a lot of us was had to say we were West Indians, so people wanted you know try to strangle us, whatever. from my brothers and sisters, what have you? But we know a lot. We've known a lot of stories. Two, the cultural difference is totally different. It's just the aesthetic is totally different. Idris Albert said himself when he was on Voice of America, when he when they asked him what was he surprised about when he came to the United States, and he said the disconnect of the brothers and sisters. From the continent. Yes, he went on to say that when he would come here and meet some people, you know, some of the brothers in this when he's in Atlanta or whatever, he'd ask them, you know, where are you from? They'll say, I'm from Atlanta. He'll say, okay, where are you really from? And they'll say, Atlanta. And he made the point of saying that in Europe, in the UK, a lot of the uh, the blacks there are either descendants, African European, Afro European or Caribbean European. Their roots directly go to in that direction, so he was very startled and taken aback to find that same situation here. It reminds me of, no, no, not the same situation here. He was very startled when he came to the states to find there is not there is not that direct connection or affinity of connection to the continent or the West Indies among our brothers and sisters in Hollywood or in the. Population at large because you know when the Indian festival comes around that's when you find the young brothers and sisters who they would deny There was Indian all year, but that one day that carnival goes down Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn What, what the blonde boy, you know me from Kingston a long time ago. You like wait a minute You didn't want you didn't want to admit you even knew what Jamaica was all of a sudden You're wearing a bomb on T t-shirt in, in the in the 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 rock that colors come on now, so We have to understand that we have our stories to tell we're going to tell our stories and the experience I have working on Once Upon a Time in Congo and the productions, other productions, other production working on is that, you know, our networking is different, our, our commodity is different. And I always feel a lot of love, at you know, on a on a set when I'm working with my people from the continent. But we shouldn't be exclusive of other people. We could always, as artists, do we could always get ideas from other people, other cultures, other production styles, other production techniques. We shouldn't be so resistant to embracing things that could help our product be better overall. So. Let's just keep that in mind. African cinema, we did. We just talked for an hour and a half. I don't think an hour and a half is even a justified, a justified length for the show. So what we're going to do is I'm going to figure out a way to get Odara Sadiq, Ben, Dan, ben, uh, if Chet's out here, get him down, Hakeem, Rob, Patricia. I want to see if we can do a round table one day. Maybe we'll videotape it. If not, we'll do an audio. But I think maybe we'll do a, a round table or maybe even a panel somewhere in L.A. and talk about this at large, go a little deeper. So people of the world. Thank you for tuning in. We have six minutes left. I may come back on the other side. Uh, Yes, I was asked to play this clip again by uh, BBC. I'll play that clip on Inside Africa, then I'll close it out with a song from the continent. So we'll go past our time just a little bit here, if you do not mind. Let's see if I can get that up again for you people out there in cyberspace. Uh, Here we go. Is that it right there? Yes, it is. No, it is not. <laughs> Hold on, please, bear with me. We didn't have it queued because we were going to go out into something else. But here we go. Ta-da.
5: Centuries of inequality, a decade of volatility. We take an in-depth look at land reform in South Africa.
6: Lord, have mercy, this is the Amherst.
5: Taking on Tinseltown, we head to an awards ceremony fit for Nollywood.
7: It the be history when you walk out on the field.
5: And countdown to Africa's coming out party continues. An interview with famous footballer Stephen Pinar this week on Inside Africa. Hello and welcome to Inside Africa. I'm Aisha Sase. There were 53 countries represented, 24 categories up for grabs, and one shiny red carpet. While the Continent Cinema may be accused of being low-budget, our Christian Pure voice shows us at the African Movie Academy Awards it's all about glitz and glam.
2: On the red carpet at Africa's Oscars.
5: Holy <laughs> bye.
6: Lord have mercy, this is the Amherst African Movie Academy Awards. This is the biggest award ceremony in Africa.
2: Forget Hollywood. Nigeria's Nollywood is now the second largest movie industry in the world after India
8: it's about African cinema and rewarding African cinema.
2: This is
0: amazing to be recognized by one of your own it's just simply amazing. And it's not
2: just Nigeria with films from 53 African countries competing at the sixth AMA Awards. It's
9: something uh,
2: like uh, has never happened
9: like this in my career as a camera filmmaker before, so I'm feeling very
7: excited about it.
2: But the center of attention tonight, Nigerian filmmaker Kunle Afalayan, and his film, The Figurine, a thriller about a sculpture with mystical powers. You're up for ten nominations yes. tonight, yes. how does it feel?
6: It feels great, it feels like, yeah, we've not walked in vain, it feels like, um, um, We've opened a new page in, in the Nigeria cinema, and the Africa cinema.
5: The awards are in here, and it was. Don't,
10: don't in, in take it too close. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: there are 24 awards and plenty of emotion. Hollywood movies are typically low budget, often filmed, edited, and released within a month. Most of these movies don't end up on the big screen, instead they're distributed as VCDs and with titles like King of Kidnappers and Personal Desire and costing probably about one to two dollars, they're affordable for the mass African market. But the audience is no longer just African, with films now being distributed across Europe and the Caribbean. Outside in the dark, fans try to catch a glimpse of their favorite stars.
6: I mean, they, they they are good in what they are doing. They make me feel happy while watching their movies.
2: Which you prefer more, American movies, Indian movies, or Nigerian movies?
6: I, I'm a black. I need to love what my mother loves. So I'm a black. I love Nigerian movies.
2: The inside tonight is for Nigeria, with Kunle winning five awards, including the coveted best picture. This is the
6: beginning of greater things to come to Africa. I love you guys. For me, the story, a story that will cut across, not a story that will only appeal to Nigerians, but a story that will appeal to an average film lover, regardless of the language you speak, the continent you're from, or, you know, the colour of
2: your skin. The biggest winner tonight, Nollywood. Christian pure Boy, CNN, by Elsa,
5: Nigeria. Love what your mother loves. Some very good advice there. And in Nigeria, that love is for the cinema. Let's look at the numbers. We all know about the tradition in Hollywood, and the U.S. makes plenty of movies to back it up. Close to 500 major films a year. Not bad, but nowhere close to Nollywood. Nigeria's movie makers came out with close to 900 productions in 2006. That's just shy of India, the only country that makes more than 1,000 movies annually. So what accounts for Nollywood's continued success? As Christian mentioned, it could just be affordability. Nigerian movie makers rarely, if ever, shoot on film, keeping production costs down. And the country doesn't have formal movie theaters, meaning 99% of screenings are in people's homes, away from the pricey popcorn and ticket costs. We'll be back in a moment. If we look at
3: your own thing. All right, people. Listen up. We got 20 seconds left. We're going to take this off the air because, you know, I'm African. We never end the party when it's supposed to start. <laughs> no, we never end the party when it's supposed to start. What am I talking about? We never end the party when we're supposed to end it. People, take it off air. Sidecast to the bingo. Thanks for checking in. Talk to you all later. DJ, throw those something down.